is and what we have as a result of that. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, chapter number 1. I think every week, every pastor, as he prepares the message, always has in mind the, the hope that you know, that certain people will be there because whether you look for it or not, you, uh, over a period of time, get to know people and, uh, and understand something about what their needs are. You don't prepare the message to direct it at a certain person or anything, but, uh, but there's always that hope because even as you're working on the message, you're thinking, oh, wow, I hope so-and-so's here today. And uh, as I wrote the pastor's pen this week, uh, it was with that, with that hope uh, that God would just, in some way, you know, bring exactly those that, uh, that need the message. And then as I worked on the message, I thought of that. Well, you, you know, other than pray, I can't do anything about who's here and who's not. And uh, I don't select my sermons on the basis of who's here and who's not. Well, you get to play in that game, and after a while, you're so totally confused, you don't know what to do. So I, I just do what God puts on my heart, and I, you know, I can't think of uh, I can't think of uh, any more important and inspirational message than than the subject of the message this morning, and that is the gospel, the glorious gospel. The Bible says a great deal about it. Here in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 1, you'll notice that it's called the gospel of God. That speaks about the origin of it. That's where it came from. In verse number 16, it speaks about the gospel of Christ. That is the, he is the theme of the gospel. In Acts 20 and verse number 24, it is called the gospel of grace. That tells us about the character of the gospel. In Ephesians 1 and verse number 13, it says the gospel of your salvation. That has to do with our personal appropriation of the gospel. In Ephesians 6 and verse 15, it's called the gospel of peace. That has to do with the fruit of the gospel. In Romans 2.15, Paul says it is my gospel, speaking about the responsibility of the one who possesses it. But in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 4, it is called the glorious gospel. That speaks about its intrinsic worth the value, the worth of the gospel. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And so here is a subject that stands head and shoulders above all others. You could say this subject is what Mount Everest is to the other mountains, what the Nile is to the other rivers, or what Jupiter is to all of the other planets in our solar system. That's why the Bible calls it the glorious gospel. And again and again and again, he emphasizes the fact that it's not just good news, but it is glorious. And if there's any one message the world needs to hear, this is it. If I, if I could address all of the heads of state from all of the nations on earth, 
What a privilege that would be to be able to stand before them and to say anything that I pleased. The one thing above everything else I would have to say is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That would be my message. I wouldn't have anything to say about how we're going to try to get all of the nations together in peaceful coexistence. I, I wouldn't, as important as it is, I wouldn't have anything to say about how we're going to feed all of the hungry. As important as it is, I would not have anything to say about how we're going to get rid of all of the nuclear, uh, uh, warheads in, in, in the world today. Uh, the one thing above everything else would be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And of all of the places from the Bible that the gospel is mentioned, you could not do any better than the book of Romans. Donald Gray Barnhouse, a famous Bible teacher many years ago, said Romans has the most complete diagnosis of the plague of man's sin and the most glorious setting forth of the simple remedy. And he was exactly right. Mark it down. No person, regardless of how many degrees they have, no person is well educated unless they're familiar with the Bible. And no one is well grounded in the Bible unless they're familiar with the book of Romans. It is just that important. Well, naturally, we don't have time to study the entirety of the book of Romans, but this morning, I want you to look at two verses, verse number 1 and verse number 16. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, verse 16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. In these two verses, we see five things related to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. First of all, we see the source of the gospel. Notice it's called the gospel of God. Now, the word gospel means good news. In fact, you could say this is the very best news that man could ever hear. And and like all good things, it originated with God. The, the good news is that God devised a means whereby sinful man can be reconciled to a holy God. That, that's man's greatest need. And God has provided exactly that. If we were left to ourselves, we, we would not and we could not ever come to God. We could pool all of our, all of our education and abilities and skills and everything together and uh, work in some effort trying to get from here to heaven, and we would never make it. We could give every penny we had, and we could never purchase a place in heaven. We could do every good deed imaginable and never earn a place in heaven. But God took it upon Himself. He took the initiative to prepare for us a way that we could have our sins forgiven, be reconciled to Him, and have a place in heaven. Now, we wouldn't do that. 
We couldn't do that. You remember that when Adam fell, the first thing Adam did was not for him to seek after God and to confess his sin. The first thing Adam did was to hide from God. Now, you would think, you know, that he would come to his senses and realize, I've made a horrible mistake and, you know, I've disobeyed God. I need to make this right with God. And he would search out God. But instead of that, he is hiding from God and God began a search for him. Now, understand, God knew where Adam was. And remember, the question was, Adam, where art thou? God knew where he was geographically. God knew where he was spiritually. And God is trying to draw out from Adam a confession of the fact that he is now a fallen person. God is trying to get Adam to see himself as God sees him, as a sinner in need of forgiveness. But Adam's hiding from God, and that's exactly what people have been doing all down through the ages, hiding from God. They might be religious, but they're hiding from God. We would not, we could not ever come to God, because when you come to God, you have to come to God on His terms. And that's where the problem is. We refuse to do that. The only way that anyone can come to God, according to what the Lord says in the Gospel of John, is that God draw him. He said, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. You say, well, how does he do that? Well, chapter 6 and verse number 44 tells us that it is by the Word of God that he draws us to himself. The source of the gospel is God himself, and God is expressing to us the greatness of his concern for our spiritual need, and he draws us through the preaching of his word. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, God is drawing you. If you're waiting for some lightning bolt out of heaven or a clap of thunder or a voice of an angel or something like that, listen, you're going to be looking for a long time because God's not communicating the gospel in those ways. You know, God, God could, could enable a woodpecker. I had a woodpecker yesterday morning. I was sitting in the office and got a metal gutter out there and that crazy woodpecker will get up there and, and why he's pecking on a metal rain gutter, I'll never know, but it sounds like a Tommy gun out there going off, you know, and he just, you, you would think he'd beat his brains out, but he just keeps going. You know, God has the ability that he could have given the woodpecker the ability to tap out the gospel in Morse code. But he didn't do that, did he? God has the ability that he could have written the gospel in the sky. But he didn't do that. Was it that God's unconcerned? Not at all. God has revealed to us the way to heaven through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the good news. 
We might gather together in a meeting like this and preach a thousand and one different things. We might enjoy ourselves. The preacher can get up and tell a bunch of sob stories about things that will bring tears to your eyes. But listen, if we don't, if we don't get back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, It'll all be in vain. Never forget the gospel is glorious because it's God-given. He gave the gospel. But not only do we see the source of the gospel, we see the subject of the gospel. In verse number 16, notice what he says, that it is the gospel of Christ. You see, Christ is the good news. In other words, He is the theme of the Bible from the very beginning to the very end. The Bible, the entirety of it, is telling us of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I say the person and work of Christ, I'm talking about His attributes. And I'm talking about His accomplishments. I'm talking about who He is and what He's done. And that's what the Bible from beginning to end is all about. You go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible and all the way to the end of it. It's like a poet said many years ago, I see my Lord in the Bible whenever I chance to look. He is the theme of the Bible to the center and the heart of the book. He is the Rose of Sharon and the Lily Fair. Whenever I open the Bible, the Lord of the Bible is there. He in the book's beginning gave the earth its form. He is the ark of safety to bear the brunt of the storm, a burning bush of the desert and the budding of Aaron's rod. Whenever I open the Bible, I see the Son of God, a lamb upon Mount Moriah, the ladder from earth to sky, a scarlet cord in the window, the serpent lifted high, the smitten rock of the desert, the shepherd with staff and crook. Yes, the face of my Lord I discover whenever I open in this book. He is the seed of the woman, the Savior virgin born. He is the son of David, whom men rejected with scorn. The Lord of eternal glory, whom John the Apostle saw... The light of the celestial city, the Lamb without spot or flaw. The bridegroom coming at midnight for whom His people look. Yes, whenever I open the Bible, I see my Lord in the book. So many times we talk about the way of salvation and the plan of salvation as, you know, we talk about and refer to it sometimes as the Romans road plan to salvation and things of that nature. But let us never forget that salvation is not in a plan, it's in a man, it's in a person, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the subject of the gospel. You can't preach the gospel without preaching Christ. You can't preach the gospel without talking about His excellencies. You can't preach the gospel without talking about the shedding of His blood for the remission of our sins. He is the subject of the book of the Bible and the gospel of God. Not only that, but in verse 16, we see not only the source of the gospel and the subject of the gospel, But here we see the sufficiency of the gospel. It says, it is the power unto salvation. You see, the gospel does what nothing else can do. It doesn't just tell us of Christ. It takes us to Christ. Are you with me? In other words, it doesn't just proclaim the way of salvation 
it provides salvation. It doesn't just describe what Jesus did, it draws us to him. The word power is a word that we get the English word dynamite from. The Greek word is dunamis, dynamite. And it's speaking about inherent power. It's talking about the power that is inherent in a thing by virtue of its nature. It has to do with power in action or the power to accomplish. And you see, it would be impossible for anyone to ever be saved without hearing and receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God. You see, I can stand up here and tell all kinds of religious stories that might move your emotions. I could even, I could even preach many messages from different parts of the Bible about different subjects from the Bible that might be of interest to you. You know, we might talk about the two witnesses during the tribulation period and You know, where Cain got his wife and all of these other things that people seem to be so interested in. But after we've exhausted all of our efforts in studying these many different subjects, it would all be in vain as it relates to our salvation. Because the only message that has the power to save us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is so very easy for us to, to think to ourselves, you know, that, that, that we need to in some way enhance it. We need to some way to beautify it. We need to, you know, to decorate it up and make it palatable to the world. We hear that all of the time, you know, well, you, if you just preach the Bible as it is to people as they are, they're not going to receive it. Let me tell you, the very minute you begin to change anything from the Bible, especially the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've destroyed it. And, and that, that's why Paul said, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which you've received from us. He said, let him be accursed. Because when you add to it, when you take away from it, you've destroyed it. But as it is, it is the power of God unto salvation. It's not what I say about it that's the power of God unto salvation. It is what it is. It has that inherent power. I don't need to embellish it in any way whatsoever. All I have to get do is get up here and tell you that as Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture and was buried and raised again the third day for our justification. I mean, just in a nutshell, that's it. That's the story. That's the gospel. That's the power of God and the salvation. So we see the sufficiency. We need never doubt that. Many times preachers, whenever you go week after week after week and you don't see something happen, you think, oh my, I must have preached the wrong message. Or, 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 or maybe I need to use better illustrations. Or, or maybe I need, I need to use more illustrations. You know, I've heard so many famous preachers and many of them that down through the years I've met and I've heard preach and, and, and it just seems like everybody's on their bandwagon about what a wonderful preacher they are. And as I've listened to those messages, 95% of their messages is nothing but one story after another story after another story. Let me tell you, that is not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That's not what Paul meant whenever he told Timothy, preach the Word. Preach the Word. That's the message that's going to, that's going to meet the needs of man. Raise him up out of the mire of his sinfulness and set him on the solid rock of God's faithfulness. That's the only hope he has of heaven. Sufficiency of the gospel is Jesus Christ. Now, notice verse 16 again. And here we see the scope of the gospel. Notice it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone. To everyone. I'm so glad that's in there. Doesn't make any difference who you are. Doesn't make any difference what color your skin is. Doesn't make any difference where you are on the, on the social ladder, whether you're on the top rung or whether you're on the bottom rung. Doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference whenever it comes to, uh, to the degree of your morality, your, your standards and your values and things of that nature. It doesn't make any difference when it comes to national barriers. You can be from any place having done absolutely anything, but look, nobody is excluded except those who refuse. The gospel is the power of God. Notice he said, for everyone. That's why I often say you can never speak to the wrong person about Christ. It doesn't make any difference what they've done. You can go through the prisons and speak to those men and women there. And my, if you could just listen to the stories and hear about the horrific sins that they have committed and the, the crimes that they have done, it would just literally make you sick to your stomach. But the most vile, disgusting, filthy sinner on the face of this earth is somebody that Jesus Christ bled and died for. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone. That's the scope of it. It reaches the entire world. But notice another reason why it's glorious, and that is the simplicity of it. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone. Notice what he says, everyone that believeth. And again and again and again and again throughout the New Testament, we find that same thing being affirmed, that salvation is the receiving of the gospel of Jesus Christ by believing. You see, God made salvation as easy as possible. But don't let that fool you. That doesn't mean it's not serious. It's simple, but it is the most sublime Message, the most serious message in all of the world. And the only way you can ever belong to God is to believe the gospel. Salvation is by grace, not goodness. Salvation is by merit or mercy, not our merit. It's not based upon our our attainments, but rather upon God's acceptance. And the Bible says that we are accepted in the Beloved. It's not a matter of how we behave. It's a matter of what we believe. I think about Paul and Silas there in the Philippian jail and at midnight when God began to shake that place and he set the prisoners free and the jailer runs in and says to them in fear of his life, says to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Boy, if ever a man had a platform to elaborate on all of the different religions of earth, Paul has it. I mean, he, this guy is all ears. Just tell me what to do to be saved. 
And boy, Paul sums it up, and I mean gets right to the bare bones fact. He said, believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It doesn't get any more simple than that. Listen, that is the only way that you can receive the gospel of Christ. It's not a matter of believing and getting baptized. It's not a matter of believing and joining the church. It's not a matter of believing and then doing certain good works Listen, none of those things would ever bring salvation. It's just believing. It's simple, childlike faith. Last week, I spoke about God's goal. And God's goal is what? Well, to get this good news, this gospel message into all of the world. Now, think about what God could do. God could give us a cure for cancer. That wouldn't be any problem at all. He could do that easy. I mean, we got these scientists racking their brains trying to figure out how we can cure that horrible disease. And God can do that in a split second and say, here's your cure for cancer. This will take care of it. But he hasn't done that. God could direct us to a fountain of youth. He really could. Just drink this water here and, uh, and, and you'll never get old. But he hasn't done that. God could stop all of the natural disasters. No more earthquakes, no more tornadoes, none of those things that take so many lives. God could stop all of that. God could put food on the table of every hungry person in all of the world. God could give us a book that explains all of the mysteries of life that the scientists are trying to figure out. And God could say, here's a book, here's the explanation. You don't need to spend all of that money on research and development and all of that stuff. Here it is right here. This is, this is, this is the answer. But, but God hasn't done that. God has given us something much better than any of those things. If you lump all of those things I just mentioned together, God has given us something of greater value in the gospel of Jesus Christ than all of those things, and that is the blessed Bible that declares the glorious gospels. And listen, as sinners, we need to receive it. Because there's no other way to be saved. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please understand you're going to die and go to hell unless you receive the gospel as the means of salvation. You must receive it. Not just memorize it, but receive it. Not just quote it, but receive it. Not just sing about it, but actually receive it and trust in the shed blood to save you. As the sons of God, we need to rest in it because we can't add anything to it. That's enough. I've often said, and I'm sure some folks don't really understand and think I'm just being a smart aleck, but I'm really not. I've often said that if I die and go to hell, it'll be God's fault. It's not going to be my fault because I know what God promised, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That salvation is by grace through faith. And I know that I put my trust in Him. And I can rest in that fact. That's why from the day that I trusted Christ as my Savior, I've never doubted for 30 seconds whether or not I'm a child of God. I don't understand these people that, you know, think so, maybe so, hope so kind of salvation. I don't understand that. Whenever your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, what have you got to worry about? 
What have you got to fret about? You can rest in that fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Then as the saints of God, we ought to rejoice about it. It's amazing to me the different things I could get up here and preach about. And boy, I'm telling you what, there'd be some people that'd just be bubbling over. And, and some people would just be busting at the seams. And some people would be happy about this and happy about that. And, and you get up here and just preach the plain, simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's like, oh my, I'm bored out of my skull. I, oh, I wish he'd get on to something else. I, let me tell you, there is nothing else, nothing else to compare with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We ought to rejoice in that fact. And then as the servants of God, we need to relay that information to the rest of the world. If that's God's goal, it ought to be our purpose in life. You know, I was sitting in my office this morning and thinking about the message. And I began to think about, you know, and couldn't help but wonder, what might have happened if when I first started attending church, if all of the pastor's sermons had been on, let's say, man's sinfulness? And make no mistake about it. You've got to understand that you're a sinner before you can be saved, but you've got to know more than that. And if that preacher had just every week hammered on, on how, how sinful I am, I already knew that. I already knew that. He didn't have to tell me, well, if, if, you, if, if you're a drunkard, that, that, that's sin. If you're a thief, that's sin. You know, he didn't have to tell me. I already knew that. And if he had never got beyond telling me of my sinfulness, I would have never been saved. Not only that, but he could have got up and preached every week about the need to change. You're a sinner. You need to change. You need to be different. And he could just hammered on. I'd already tried that. I remember telling Bev so many different times, I promise I'm going to quit drinking. I, I, you know, I, I know that, I know this isn't good. I know it's not right. I, I, I'm going to stop. I wanted to stop. I couldn't stop. I tried that. And if all he did was harp about how I need to change, it would have never been of any benefit. He could have stood up every week and preached about world conditions, but I didn't care about that. Not at that point in my life. I didn't care who was president. I didn't care what was going on in the world because the only world I was concerned about was this little world in which I lived, of which I was the sinner. It wouldn't have helped me one bit. He could have stood up and preached about why Christians ought to be Baptists. Well, I didn't know anything about that. That wouldn't help me. He could have stood up. He could have talked about, you know, the, the importance of the deeper life. I'd have never understood that. He could, he could have preached every week about prophecy. And you know, as important as that is, I would have just come to the conclusion this might be some kind of crazy cult. Talking about, talking about people all of a sudden going, whoo, you know, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and disappearing from the earth. And I'd have, I would have written him off as some kind of a weirdo. You'd have never got me back there preaching that. And I'd never been to church. I didn't know anything about the Bible. And as I sat there this morning, I thought to myself, I am so thankful, I am so glad that he preached the plain, simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And over and over again, he hammered home the truth 
regarding the greatness of God's love and the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. All of those other subjects might be important, but listen, until a person hears and receives the gospel of Jesus Christ, none of those things really matter. And boy, when he showed me Romans 5 and verse 8 as he was preaching from the pulpit, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that was the verse that God used to just break down the pride of my heart and the barriers in my life. To think about, God love me while, while I'm a sinner? I mean, God loves me now like I am? And Christ died for me. And that was the one thing above everything that I couldn't resist. That's the power of God unto salvation to every man that believes. Let's stand together. Father, we've done our very best this morning to say the things that you put on our heart. And I realize today more than ever that it's it's not what I say about your word, but it is the power of your word that's able to accomplish your will. And I just pray this morning, Lord, my heart breaks to know that there are folks that are in desperate need of listening to what has been said here this morning, and they're not here. And Lord, I just pray some way, somehow, that, that you'll help me or someone get through to them, that they'll see their need and be saved. But Lord, I also know that you never put a message on a preacher's heart, but what somebody needed that message. And because of that, I have every reason to believe that there's someone here this morning that has never received by faith the glorious gospel. Someone that's not saved. And Lord, this is their opportunity. This is their day. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will draw them and bring them to the place of salvation right here this morning. And Lord, for those of us that have been saved, God, help us to rejoice in it and to get that message out to the rest of the world before it's too late. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen.